Well, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series called Life in the Spirit. And the premise of the series is that there is a crucial and vast difference between a morally restrained heart and a supernaturally changed heart. Right? So there's a difference between sort of uh, morally restraining your will and when God comes in by his Holy Spirit to transform you. And so we're looking at what that, what that is like when God comes in and changes you. And we're, we're looking at this uh, fruit of the Spirit passage. And what the fruit of the Spirit is, if you want to think about it this way, are these are marks of a supernaturally changed heart. And so the fruits of the Spirit, joy, peace, love, these are all marks of what happens to a person when God is changing them. And so we've looked at love, we've looked at joy, we've looked at peace, and today we're going to look at patience. When God changes a person, he always produces patience. How do y'all feel about waiting? Any of you enjoy a nice long wait? I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I, I hate calling a business and being put on hold. I hate waiting in the line at the grocery store or the bank, and I always get in the slowest one. Anybody else there? I hate uh, waiting at a stoplight behind an accelerator challenge driver, waiting for the light to turn green. I don't like to pull into a gas station and find all the pumps are occupied. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting, and this is what I love about Batesville. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, you don't have this here, but in L.A., there's something called traffic. And I remember moving here, and one of the things I love about it here is five minutes to work and five minutes home, and there's just no traffic here except for at the corner of St. Louis and Harrison. That's, what's up with that? That's the worst traffic I've seen anywhere. And I just hate waiting. It bothers me. It troubles me. And, uh, but I've been a perpetrator. I've made other people wait. And uh, you know, when I was dating my wife, uh, it took me a long time to propose. And so we dated for five and a half years, and she, she was waiting for me to pop the question, so much so that at one point we had a come-to-Jesus meeting. And she said, babe, uh, when is this going to happen? I can't wait forever. And I said, I said look, babe, uh, in the Bible, uh, Rachel waited for Jacob seven years, and it's only been five and a half. I didn't say that. I'm not that clueless. <laughs> clueless, but not that clueless. But Waiting is very difficult. Patience is very, very hard to develop. And we live in a culture, we live in a culture uh, almost of impatience, don't we? You know, you think about technology and one-click shopping and, and how quick everything happens. I mean, we almost live in a culture that doesn't value patience, which is a shame because, I mean, you need patience to, to, to get through life, don't you? I mean, think about marriage. Think about parenting. Think about the struggles that we go through, just normal struggles in life. If you don't have patience, you're not going to make it. And so this is a very crucial virtue. We need to learn to be patient. And so today we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit is patience, and we're going to look at James chapter 5. Now James 5 is one of the longest, most involved, uh, involved passages about this virtue of patience. And what James talks about today and what we're going to talk about is not so much patient with, patience with others, we're going to talk about patience with God. Now somebody says, well, wait a minute, patience with God? I mean, doesn't God need to be patient with us? Like, we're the ones who are incompetent. We're the ones who lack faith. Doesn't God need to be patient with us? Well, yes, but we also need to learn to be patient with God. In fact, there's a refrain all the way through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament and the Psalms, where the psalmist always says, uh, or it says, wait patiently for God. 
I wait on the Lord, and this refrain is always followed up with, how long, O Lord? Like, I know I've got to wait for God, but how long, God? How long do I need to wait? And James says we need to learn to be patient. And you think about waiting on God. I mean, this is something Christians talk about, but think about all the ways that we wait on God. There's the waiting of a single person who's wondering if if God has marriage in store for him or her. And they're waiting for Mr. Right or Mrs. Wrong to, Mrs. Wrong. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Right or or Miss, anyway, they're waiting for somebody. (laughs) And that person never seems to come. There's the waiting of a childless couple who desperately wants to start a family. But it seems like God never answers their prayers. And then there's the waiting of the person who's in a job that they loathe. You know, they long to find work that seems to matter. They long to find a job that seems to fit their gifts, and yet it never seems to happen. And then there's the waiting of a deeply depressed person, you know, who's praying and longing for the day where they could wake up and want to live again. And so think of all the ways that, that, we're, that we wait on God. And I would wager that many of us this morning are waiting on God for something. That many of us today are, are waiting and praying for something. And, and what James says is that we have to learn to be patient. But patience is incredibly difficult. Lewis Smedes, who's a theologian, puts it this way. Waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what we hope for, we wait for a darkness, or we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Or in the words of the late great theologian Tom Petty, it's the waiting that's the hardest part. And waiting can be dangerous. You know, because think about it, if you, when you become impatient with God and you get tired of waiting, you can begin to make rash decisions. You can take shortcuts and really make a wreck of your life. I mean, think about a person who's waiting on God to uh, help them get through and maybe get healed of their depression. If they get impatient, they could turn to j- drugs or alcohol to self-medicate. Or think about somebody who gets patient, impatient with God, you know, in a marriage. God, when are you going to change my spouse? And they get patient, impatient and they hit the eject button. And so impatience can be dangerous. If we don't learn to wait on God, it can be devastating. And so here's the question this morning. How do we cultivate patience? How do we wait on God? Well, we all need to learn how to do it. How do we cultivate it? Well, James, in this passage, he's going to talk about how to wait on the Lord. And now, and and here's the context. He's writing to a group of Christians who are suffering. Uh, these are people, these are poor people that he's writing to who are being oppressed by the, by the wealthy. They're not being paid enough money and they're not being paid on time. And they're crying out, how long, how long is this going to go on? And what James says is he says, be patient. But he doesn't stop there. He's going to tell these people how to be patient. He's going to tell us how to be patient. And he says, in order to be patient, you've got to get perspective. Specifically, he says, you need to learn how to look back or I'm sorry, look forward, and then he tells us that we need to look back, and then finally he says, look up. So how can we cultivate patience? By doing three things. He says, "Get, get perspective by looking forward, by looking back, and by looking up. So let's look at the first thing. He says, you need to learn how to be patient, and you do it first by looking forward. 
Let's look at what he says here. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so James says the first thing you do in order to learn patience if you're a Christian is you need to learn how to look forward. In other words, he says if you want to learn how to be patient, you need to first identify your future hope and then learn how to focus upon it. He says if you're going to learn patience, you need to learn how to see the light at the end of the tunnel. He says, be patient because the coming of the Lord is at hand. God's going to come. He's going to right all the wrongs. He's going to wipe away every tear. And if you're going to learn patience, you need to learn to look forward to this. Now, I know as soon as I say that, this almost sounds a little bit trite, doesn't it? Like, oh, yeah, so here are these people. They're suffering. They're being oppressed by the wealthy. And they're saying, how long? And James says, be patient. And he says, well, how long do we be patient? And he says, well, until Jesus comes back. It almost seems a little unhelpful, doesn't it? It's almost like, you know, my kids love to go to the pool uh, around the block, and they always say during the summer, Daddy, when are we going to go to the pool? When are we going to go to the pool? When are we going to go to the pool? And what if I looked at them and said, I'll tell you when. When Jesus comes back, that's when. I mean, it almost sounds trite. It almost sounds a little bit unhelpful, but I want you to think about it. You know, if you're going through a deep, deep sort of suffering, what you need is a very, very big hope. And when you're going through deep pain, what you need is an inextinguishable hope. You know, if you're being oppressed by the, by the wealthy or if you're, if you're suffering from a chronic illness, what you need to know is that one day this is going to end. That one day God's going to reverse the fortunes. That one day God's going to wipe away every tear. You need to learn to look forward. And this isn't trite at all. Looking forward to the future is incredible fuel for patience. I want you to think about an example. There's uh, there's a woman, her name is Joni Erickson Tata. And Joni Joni Erickson Tata, she was a a quadriplegic. Uh, She's paralyzed from the neck down. When she was 17 years old, she was uh, swimming at a lake and she jumped off of a short dock into shallow water. She broke her neck and she's living the rest of her life now in paralysis. And she says, and she's learned to be patient. She's learned to endure this, this, uh, this suffering. And she says, you want to know how I've learned to be patient? Here's what she says. She says, I know I am suffering now, but Christ gives me hope for the future. The Bible speaks of our bodies as being glorified in heaven. In high school, that always seemed like a hazy foreign concept to me. But now, being a quadriplegic, I realize I will be healed at the, re- the expiration day. I haven't been cheated out of being a complete person. I am just going through a 40 or 50 year delay. So she's learning patience in her life by looking at the end. One day, Jesus is going to come back and I'm going to walk again. And it's keeping her going with patience. You know, if you're going through a little bit of pain, a small pain, you know, maybe you're on the treadmill and you're going and, you know, there's that, li- and you're, maybe, you know, you're, you're, you exercise for 20 minutes. That's how long I exercise for. It's not long enough, I know. But you're going and what do you need? You look at the little digital, uh, uh, little screen there that says 15 more minutes. You know, when you're going through a little bit of suffering, you need a little bit of hope. 
But when you're going through deep pain, a chronic illness, you know, oppression, something like that, you need to know that one day Jesus Christ is going to right all the wrongs. And so James says, how do you be patient? Well, you be patient by looking forward into the coming of the Lord. He says, be patient until the coming of Christ. And what this does also, it helps us manage our, our expectations, doesn't it? You know, one of the problems in life is that there's tension in this world. There's tension because we live in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be, right? God created a beautiful world, but the world we live in is broken. The world we live in is fractured. And so things are not the way that they ought to be. They're not the way that they're supposed to be. And we need to learn how to live in the tension between the already and the not yet. And living within the tension is called patience. I was talking to a man the other day who's struggling with a chronic illness. And he said, you know, Brent, I used to be so frustrated. Like, God, why? why? Why is this happening to me? Why don't you heal me? But he says, I'm learning to live in the tension. One day God will make me right. One day I won't be suffering anymore. One day I'll wake up and I won't be struggling. And yet, right now, things are not the way they're supposed to be. Living in the tension is called patience. And we need to learn how to look forward. And Paul the Apostle did this really well. Uh, Paul the Apostle suffered a lot, you know. I mean, he was he, uh, shipwrecks and illnesses and persecution, all that sort of thing. And at one point, Paul says this. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So Paul says, look, you want to know how I've learned how to be patient in my suffering? He says, I've learned to look at my suffering in light of all eternity. And he says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us a far more eternal weight of glory. So we need to learn how to wait. But what does this look like? Notice what, Paul, what James says here. He goes on and he says, well, you need to learn how to be patient. You need to learn how to look to the future. What does this look like? He says, it looks a little bit like a farmer, actually. Verse 7, he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So patience looks like what the farmer does. And this is really important because a lot of times we think about patience as almost like passive resignation. You know, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just not going to take responsibility. But what James is talking about here is an active waiting. Like a farmer. I mean, what does a farmer do? A farmer, you know, he does everything that he can. He plants, can, does everything that he can. He, He plants and he waters and he plows the field. And then when there's nothing else to do, he waits. And a lot of us think, well, you know, I'm just, I don't have a job, but I'm going to sit here and watch TV until Jesus comes. Or I'm, I don't have a date, you know, and so I'm going to sit here on the couch and really pray hard. You know, there's a theological category for that. It's called stupidity. <laughs> and that's not what James is talking about. He's, saying, he's, he's talking about active waiting. Waiting on the Lord is a confident, disciplined, expectant, active, and sometimes painful clinging to God. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it, waiting is patience. I'm sorry, waiting is, obedient, is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. What else does this kind of patience look like? When you look forward, he says, it also looks like no grumbling in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Uh, another definition of patience is waiting without grumbling. What happens, this is how you know you're being impatient when you're not looking at the end is you begin to get grumbly in your suffering. 
Grumble, grumble, grumble. Some of the worst parenting I do is between the hours of 6 and 8 p.m. You know, I'm tired, the kids are tired, I'm trying to get them into the bathtub, and they're not obeying, and I'm getting frustrated, and what happens? I start to grumble. Usually at the kids or even at my spouse. And then I remember uh, there are people, you know, those wise people that say, oh, you need to cherish these years. Before you know it, you're going to snap a finger or blink your eye, and they're going to be 25 before you know it. And I hate those people in that moment. <laughs> but they're right. And if you, you can see your life in perspective. Life is so short. And Christ is coming back. And what's going to matter at the end is if you've been patient. James says, here's what a Christian does. You want to learn how to be patient. First of all, you need to learn how to see the light at the end of the tunnel. You need to learn how to see your life in light of the end. You need to learn how to look forward to the coming of Jesus. Look at your hope. It'll give you patience in the present. But secondly, notice what else James says. He says, you not only need to learn how to look forward, he says, if you're going to be patient, you also need to learn how to look back. He goes on and he says this, verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast or patient. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Second of all, James says, patience comes by looking back. And what James is going to do is he's going to pull us back. He's going to help us look back in order to help us develop patience. What do we look back to? Well, he's going to point out the examples of believers in the Old Testament. And he says, as you look at their lives, you get a picture. You almost get a portrait of what patience looks like. It's hard to even know what patience even looks like in your own life because you're in it, right? You're in it right now. But when you look back and you see these lives and perspectives, you get a portrait or a picture of what patience looks like. And he gives us these examples, these stories in the Old Testament. And, and it, you know, in the Old Testament, there are stories, you know, the Bible is stories of a whole bunch of sinful people. A lot of them are bad examples, people that messed up and did the wrong thing. But a lot of them are examples of people that did the right thing. And here's what he's doing. He's pointing us back to these people and says, look, look, look at all these men and women in the, in the Old Testament. Look how patient they were. And who does he point us to? First of all, he points us to the prophets. And think about the prophets. Think about how patient they were in suffering. You think about Isaiah, for example. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet, and God came to him and said, Isaiah, I want you to preach to my people, and I want you to spend all of your life studying and preaching and going out and, and compelling people and, and asking people to repent. And he says, here's the thing. God tells him this at the very beginning. He says, he says, he says here's the thing. You're going to preach all of your life, and nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to respond. Nobody's going to care. And Isaiah preached anyway. And year after year, decade after decade, he poured his heart into prophesying and preaching and nobody responded. He was incredibly patient. And then there's Ezekiel. You guys have heard the story of Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel, uh, the way it happened with him is God uh, gave him a scroll and said, swallow the scroll. And so he swallowed the scroll. And it was like the word of God burning in his belly. And so it came out and he preached the word of God. And, uh, and he was ridiculed because Ezekiel was given a message of judgment. And if you've ever come to somebody and given them judgment, people typically don't respond well to that. 
And so Ezekiel was ridiculed, and Ezekiel suffered. And, and to make it worse, God said, listen, Ezekiel, this is what I want you to do. One time he told Ezekiel to do this. He said, I want you to strip naked and lay on your side for 390 days as a sign of my judgment. Now, I don't know what kind of sign that was, but, but imagine the rid ridicule. You know, for 390 days doing something like that, and Ezekiel suffered very patiently. But then to top it all off, he gives the final example, which is Job. He says, think about the patience of Job. Think about how long suffering Job was, how, how patient he was, even though all of these horrible things happened to him. You've all heard the story of Job. Now, granted, Job was not silent in his suffering. You know, he shook his fist at God, and he tore his clothes and put dust on his head, and he cried out, God, what's wrong? What's happening? But it says that in all of this, Job did not sin. Why? Job was patient. And so James says, learn by looking back. Look at all of these lives. What do we learn? By looking back at Job and Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah and Isaiah, we learn the deep value of patience. Patience is worth it. You know, when we look at a life, the way we judge a life, how do we judge a life? We, we think people are great who are rich and famous and talented and charismatic. When God judges a great life, you want to know how he judges it? Patience. He says, here's the thing that all of these men and women have in common. He says, patience. They all were patient in their suffering. What is a great man? What is a great woman? What does a beautiful life look like? It looks like a life of incredible patience. Here's a quote from John Ortberg. I love this quote. He says, Biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. What God does in us while we wait is as important as what we are waiting for. So when a person waits, God changes them. There's value even in the tension. There's value even in the process because as you wait, you're learning, you're growing, you're changing. Or you're saying, well, what's so great about patience? <laughs> Why is patience so great? Because patience is essentially humility. When a person is patient with God, it shows that they're humble. Your plans and your ways are submitted to God's plans and his ways. Patience involves a deliberate act of humility. Because we're, we're saying, God, you know best. You know better than me. And I'm going to wait on you, and I'm going to trust you. And as you do that, God changes you. Patience refines you. I was driving to work this morning with my father-in-law, sitting right down there. And he recently, uh, he was at a job for 10 years, and he recently uh, left that job. He had a boss there who was just really difficult. He described her, I think, as, um, I won't, was it tyrant? I, I won't even say. It was a very difficult boss that he had. And they gave him an exit interview. And she was there looking across at him at the table. And he said, you know, it was very hard working for you. But he said, it's almost like you were a fire. And God refined me by working for you. And I came out better after these 10 years than when I came in. 
This is, what, what, what is this? He, this? He's thinking like a Christian. He's saying that, look, the pressures and the tyrants and the difficulties in life, they're actually valuable because they produce something in us. They make us patience, patient, and patience is made up of trust and humility. God changes us while we wait. Romans 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces patience. And patience produces character, and character produces hope. We look back, we look at these lives, these great lives, and every single one of them is marked by patience. God values it, do you? So we need to learn this. We learn it by looking forward. We learn it by looking back. We also learn it by looking up, because notice what Paul says here. What else do we learn by looking back at all these people? He says at the end, he says, we learn at the end from, by looking at Job, we have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and he says, you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. By looking at all, but by what God did in all of these lives, what do we see? We see that in, at the end of the day, in human history, God has a plan. God is compassionate and God is purposeful. And the circumstances of life are not willy-nilly. And you are not at the mercy of random chance. Your lives are in the hands of a loving, powerful, in-control creator God. And in order to be patient, you need to know this. You need to know that God is in control. You need to look up. You need to see that God is a God who is compassionate and merciful. He is competent and his intentions for you are good. Do you believe that? When I was younger, my grandma used to crochet and I used to sit on the floor underneath her as she was at her feet, you know, when she was crocheting. And from the bottom of, the, of what she was making there, it just looked like a bunch of random dangling yarn. And I used to say, Grandma, what are you doing? That looks awful. And she'd say, honey, come and sit next to me on the couch. And so I'd get up, and from the top side, it was beautiful. I saw that there was a rhyme and a reason. She knew what she was doing. And what the Bible says is that God has a, God has a rhyme and a reason. God is in control. God has a purpose in his world. And we may not always know what that purpose is. This is why patience is so hard. God, I don't know what you're doing. God, I don't understand. I, I would do it differently. And, and yet, what, what we do need to know is that even though we may not understand it, God does have a plan. And God is competent. God knows what he is doing, and God is worth your patience. You remember the story I told at the beginning about, you know, Anita and I and our, the Come to Jesus meeting and and, and one thing she said to me as we were talking is she said, Brent, I don't need to know. Brent, I don't need to know what the ring is going to look like. I don't need to know when exactly it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. But I need to know that your intentions are good. I need to know that you've got a plan for heaven's sakes. And I, I, kept, I yes, honey, you can trust me. I, I know I'm, I've got it. You know, I do have a plan. My intentions are good. And this is what you need to know from God, that God does have a plan, that his intentions are good. And what James says is that we have a Lord who has a purpose in his world, and he is compassionate and merciful. Well, somebody says, how do we know that? 
Well, let me take you to one more story, and it's the story of Jesus. You know, Jesus Christ was the most patient man who ever lived, wasn't he? Now, here was a man who, who in this world was so patient with people, and he, and he suffered without grumbling and complaining. And you remember he was, he was arrested, and he was, he, and he was beat, and he was flogged, and, and when all the men came to arrest him in the garden, he, he just said, I am he, and they all fell down backwards. You know, Jesus at any minute could have stopped his suffering by even just saying a word. But he was patient. And at the end of his life, Jesus hung on a cross like meat hangs from a hook. And we were all saved through Jesus' patience. And what this means is that you can trust him. How do I know that God's intentions are good? How do I know that he loves me? Well, look at your life through the lens of the cross. Because on the cross, you see a God who's utterly patient and utterly loving and giving himself to suffering for you. You can trust him. You can be patient with him because he died and he suffered patiently for you. I want to end by reading you this little verse. This is Isaiah 40, 31. And Isaiah says this. He says, But they who wait on the Lord, those who are patient with the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. He says, those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. And this past week, I did some studying on birds, actually. (laughs) And, you know, birds do three sorts of flying. There's, first of all, flapping. You know, it takes a lot of energy, and uh, little hummingbirds flap like 390 flaps per second, I guess, something like that. It takes a lot of work to flap. And then there's gliding. And gliding, you know, you can, bigger birds do this and they, they flap a couple of times and then they're able to glide through the air for a short amount of time. But then there's soaring. And soaring, you know, big, strong birds do this. Eagles do this. And here's where they, they get caught up in, in, a, in a gust of wind, a gust of air, and it raises the eagle up higher and higher and higher. And what Isaiah says is that those who learn to be patient, they will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There is power in patience to endure and to soar. And James says you need to be patient. A fruit of the Spirit is patience. One of the marks of a supernaturally changed heart is that you are learning more and more to trust God more and yourself less. You're learning to wait. Wait without grumbling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this passage uh, about patience, patience with you, patience with life, and God, we pray that you would enable us, God. You give us incredible resources to learn how to be patient, and patience is so crucial for marriage and parenting and dealing with suffering in life, and We pray, God, that you would give us the trust, give us everything we need to wait on you so that you could renew our strength. And we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.